0: Excuse me, Mr. Hill?
1: Yes, Miss Wolfe, and thanks again for being one of the first celebrities on our new show, Hey, Hey, It's Your DNA.
0: It's it's just that, um, I was wondering if we could cut out the part where we learn that I have orc DNA. I know, just like in Lord of the Rings. Isn't that fascinating? It's just that I'm in the public eye, and being an orc has some, you know, negative connotations.
1: I think you're not seeing how well you come across in that segment. When you get the news that you're sixteenth orc, there's this split second where you look like an orc. But then this tenderness sweeps across your face and the audience is going to say, look at that sweet, lovely girl who just happens to be an orc.
0: Part orc. It's just that orc has connotations of squat, ugly... Flat-nosed,
1: filthy, bow-legged, sallow-skinned, fanged humanoids with a taste for human flesh. Yes, yes, yes. But there's a lot of new scholarship being done on their art and balladry. They've been misjudged,
0: like the Vikings. They're not like the Vikings. They're
1: a little like the Vikings. Look, it's not like we're saying you killed Frodo.
0: Could we please lower our voice when we're talking about Illing K. Odo Frey?
1: It eh, could be worse. Chris Brown found out he was cousins with the Vaders.
0: Big surprise. Today, the nose wrestles with Ben Affleck's Bad News, an essay by a controversial photographer, and our culture of endless reboots and reunions. And now he's up for the lead in the reboot of Catwoman... Colin McEnroe.
2: I am up for the lead in the new Catwoman. The problem is that Carolyn Payne, also one of our guests here today, she's also up for the lead. And I think you'd be a better Catwoman than me.
3: I think I might look a little better in the suit. (laughs) Um, Well,
2: I could tie it down. I could take take diuretics. Uh, I'll do what I have to do to get the part. Yes. Anyway, anyway, there never needs to be a reboot of Catwoman because really what else is there left to say after Halle Berry got through with that? Anyway, we're not talking about that right away. We're talking – first of all, let me tell you who's on the news. Well, you just heard Carolyn Payne. She is a comedian, an actress, uh, a, a dance impresario and a dancer and many other things besides a blogger. And we have Luis Figueroa. He is a professor at uh, Trinity College, and also over at Trinity College, running Trinity Sydney Studio, uh, is James Hanley. That's our panel today, Uh, and we're going to start out. I feel like we're going to have to work hard to come up with some disagreements about this, but maybe maybe we can find something, or you know, even if we don't disagree about it, James can wrinkle his nose more ferociously at it than the rest of us. Maybe that'll (laughs) be the 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 big difference. So uh, Ben Affleck. Uh, in fact, as these, uh, as uh, you sort of heard referenced in that intro, Ben Affleck uh, was uh, to be on a program and is on a program called Finding Your Roots. It's a PBS show. It's hosted by Henry Louis Gates, and um, the premise, as I understand it, is that Henry Louis Gates kind of delves into your background and 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 finds out who you really are, what your bloodlines really are. These days, of course, with DNA. You can find out all kinds of things about people. But Ben Affleck did not want anyone to know that his great-great-great-grandfather Benjamin Cole was a Georgia slave owner in the mid-1800s. And so he actually asked if that could could be not included and it apparently was not. Um, and the show's producer is, in fact, Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates, a very, very uh, acclaimed h- historian and thinker. And he apparently did acquiesce to this request because when the episode aired in October, uh, there was no mention of the star's a slave-owning ancestor. And so uh, – and uh, and I think it's Wiki- – is it WikiLeaks? Is this how we know about it? Yes. I think it is WikiLeaks. Yes. Yeah. yes. Everything yes. comes from WikiLeaks. Everything
4: from the collection from Sony Pictures. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh,
2: so because More of, to come. Yeah. Yes. Because of WikiLeaks, <laughs> we have the email about this. So, so Luis, you were the first one to tip us off to this. I mean, what does this all mean to you? I mean, this is sort of right in your wheelhouse in the sense that a lot of the teaching you do is kind of about uh, about the history of the Americas
4: and some of the things we're not all that proud of. Well, first of all, um, it reminded me of some stories that I uncovered when I was doing research for my first book, which dealt with slavery and after slavery in, uh, in a region in southeastern Puerto Rico. And um, I remember vividly trying to Track down people who were descendant uh, not only of the slaves but also of the slave owners and other people in that area and um, finally was able to track down some people. And um, one of them actually uh, had been led to believe in family lore for generations since the 19th century that they descended from a sugar planter who was a big slave owner in this region. This region is called Guayama and it when i met this lady i had to disabuse her of this family lore because i said no actually no you're you descend from this spanish immigrant who was um, uh, someone who raised horses and and draw like a cab in in the town has nothing to do. So there are people who actually feel proud of the. Oh, things. They wanted
2: to be slave. Owners. They
4: wanted to be slave owners. They wanted to be the slave owners. So I wanted to start with that one story because it's the opposite of Ben Re- 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 Affleck's. Right? He doesn't want to be on cover as someone who's descended from slave owners. And there are people who actually were proud of that.
2: See, that um, that surprises me because in general, my my theory of humanity is that everybody in France has relatives who were in the resistance. Nobody collaborated. Everybody yeah. in Germany, you know, was yeah.
4: has no. no Nazi ancestors, yeah. and you know, it's kind of like that, right? Yeah, well, but, but there are people who do not focus so much on the fact that they were their ancestors were slave owners, rather that they were big plantation owners and all that entails. <laughs> that right, that there's a certain aristocracy uh, gone of, with the wind. basically. exactly. Yeah. And so that's that's another type. So I wanted to start by mentioning that story because it's on the complete opposite end of the situation with Ben Affleck. Um, we are not responsible ultimately for what uh, our ancestors did in certain ways. I mean, so um, if I one day was able to uncover a situation like this, what, you know, so I'll talk about it. Why try to hide it? Uh, that's not a very intelligent way of dealing with it, really.
2: Well, I'm, I'm saving James for last on this. So, <laughs> Carolyn, you're an entertainer. Um, you could at some point be asked to do something like this. Uh, would you be I, – I, does Ben Affleck have a leg to stand on? Or for that matter, does Henry Louis Gates have a leg to stand on?
3: I, I mean, I think the, the nature of, a, of being in the public eye is to kind of want to cultivate the image that the public has of you to the best of your ability. Um, and if you're going to agree to do something that's going to be – Digging in your past. I mean, this is the equivalent of like having a camera over and letting them go through your closet with you. Mm-hmm. It, you can't <laughs> you can't get upset when they find embarrassing things. You have to be like, yeah, that's right. I wear tie dye sometimes. It happens. I know it's just it's kind of like he agreed to do this. He can't be upset with what they find and he he can't be held responsible for his ancestors. I mean, it was a completely different time period. And uh, I, I just think that him trying to cover this up is sort of more embarrassing than well also Also
2: embarrassing, and I hadn't seen it until this morning, but there's actually a the, uh, clip the, that I saw. I think it's up on the CNN website from the show itself where we do see Ben Affleck preening over the fact that he had a Revolutionary War ancestor who was a significant patriot, uh, as they say. And you – know, <laughs> you can 't have it both ways you can 't be all excited about the good guy uh, or the at least theoretically the good guy and and then uh, cover up the bad guy so James, take us even deeper into the abyss <laughs> that well, this this represents
5: my My thought about Ben Affleck has always been i couldn 't quite put my finger on it, but I always felt he was sort of vaguely interesting as an actor, but <laughs> I never really. Like I look at somebody like um, like um, Jake Gyllenhaal, for example, and and how he descends into the incredible complexity of his characters, and I always thought about uh, Ben like He was he seemed interesting, but somehow skating on the surface. And so, one of the fascinating things about this, would, seems to me, is that if he had a sort of awareness, a sort of self awareness that wasn't about ego, he would actually see this as an interesting way. To give himself texture as a person, just but that that would also translate to his acting. That here would be an opportunity to deal with complexity, quite apart from any sort of broad nature of being honest. Um, I think that it would actually have served him well. And then to 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 be tripped up by this in concert with a show, as you pointed out, that that I mean, the whole point is to expose the past and to have somebody like Henry Louis Gates who. To me, uh, I mean, here his whole reputation is in tatters because of this stupid, stupid thing. I mean, how could you send an email like that and and sort of, you know, say, what should we do about this? Well, (laughs) that's sort of like inviting the executive on Hollywood to say, oh, no, please, he's a big client. Don't say anything. I mean, it just – the mind reels at that possibility.
2: You know, I hadn't really thought about the connection between art and life in in that way. and when you think about – I'm thinking about his signature roles now. And quite frequently, he is kind of the one who's sort of pulled along in an odd yeah, way, as yeah. opposed to. I mean, you know, in Goodwill Hunting, it's really Matt Damon. And then he's just kind of this guy. I, I,
3: this is going to sound awful. I still think of him as, I'm like, oh, Matt Damon's sidekick. Yeah, you know? He, yeah. he, he was it's, it's sort of the twofer of that. that came along with that. Well, <laughs> and there's, there's and a even
4: a perf- Gone Girl, you know, yeah, he's kind exactly. of the dupe. What about, yeah. what, about, what about the character he plays in The Town? Which yes. is a film yeah, right. he actually right. was a film right. he was a director wasn 't he in that yeah. film yeah. Uh, so in that character uh you know the psychology of that character might be interesting to think about in the context of this story
5: but I think that if you take somebody somebody who's in that sort of position, i mean he clearly has an ego, but it's an it 's kind of to me a misdirected ego that that really he thinks of himself as something different, and so Gone Girl was a curious thing absolutely because he really seems to be out of touch with it and mm-hmm. and so it's like uh, he's – that's his real self that's coming out but I don't is know, the appearance.
4: I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the clip of his participation in a show will um, with Mirmar's show where they were talking about Muslims and how Islam is a religion that uh, generates by itself mm-hmm. terrorism or violence, extremism and so on. He um, surprisingly perhaps uh, – he was very forceful uh, and he was very vehement in attacking the ideas that Bill Maher was defending and one of his guests was defending along those lines. And he, he tried to be like the moral conscience in the panel uh, in terms of being more uh, ecumenical in accepting religions and not thinking that there's something intrinsically wrong with Islam, which, you know, we can debate that is not the case. It's it's, it's only a minority of people. So, um, so for me, Uh, The story also uh, of this denial of his ancestry of slave owners um, was a big contrast with that kind of like self-righteous in a way forceful ethical person attitude that he had in, in a Bill Maher show.
2: You know, I was aware of that incident, although I, I refused to watch it because to me the definition, the, the epitomization of public discourse drained of all meaning would be a debate between Bill Maher and Ben Affleck. I sort of feel like really is that really kind of like Ben Affleck uh, is somebody right. we need. We need right. He needs to be heard from. And I, I have got the feeling about that particular
5: incident too was that it almost like they were. Went out. The the show's producers went out looking for a, a foil for this to mm-hmm. create that actually, and that that you know, as if there was a specification, you know, that you do this kind of thing. And it goes to the heart of what I'm saying about Ben Affleck as an appearance publicly. I mean, I don't know about him sort of privately, but as a, I think that this incident has revealed something about him privately. But his whole public image is something that is very carefully arranged and carefully carefully set up. And so, when it comes to something like this, where something of of uh, supposedly what he thinks is private nature comes out, that's when you tend to expose who people really are. I mean, that's the and and that's why it's so disturbing about Henry Louis Gates, for example, that after all of his integrity that he's shown in the past. I mean, obviously, you have to think, well, can you forgive somebody for a transgression? But this is such a fundamental uh, 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 change of sort of your, what your image is. And it's a fascinating connection with Ben Affleck and his careful image and
2: the the, the appearance you see of him in film. It, it, it is, you know, I mean, first of all, yes, it's a big disappointment. I mean, Henry Louis Gates, this whole, as, as James and Louis are both saying, it's the mission of this program apparently is to call our attention to this kind of thing. And all it took was a big celebrity to knock down all those intentions. Uh, I mean, and I bet you Henry Louis Gates does have the courage to stand up to all kinds of other enormous barricades and menaces in public life, but not a celebrity. That's just. But, you know, I mean, the thing about the acting is really interesting, the thing that James is saying, because it is acting is sort of going there right? And you think about Michael Fassbender as a slave owner in 12 Years a yeah, Slave yeah. where it just is he's so fearlessly able to put on the, the just to wear that evil you know? Yeah. And you just realize he he's just going there. Yeah. He's really exploring the, the br- brutality of this man. And you realize if you're Ben Affleck, if you're going to skate past stuff like this you, you may never do any really great acting.
3: Yeah, right? you're going to skate past it when creating that character too right. um, which I I do kind of feel that way about Ben Affleck as an actor. I I agree with you, James, that he's more... There's a surface that doesn't ever get penetrated with him. But I think... As an actor, and I know for me, especially with like comedy stuff, it's the stuff that makes you vulnerable and and kind of those like darker, the darker sides of you that you tap into. The things that make you
5: afraid yourself. Right. That you can show to other people. Exactly.
3: And the things about yourself that you don't like or the things that you don't want to be there are the things that you can tap into and create these very real and vivid characters.
2: Yes. All right. Keep that in mind as we plunge into Sally Mann in just a second. But hold on. Let's uh, talk to Ray in Tallinn. Hi, Ray. You're on the air. Hello Colin. What's on your mind?
1: What's on my mind is when I first heard that thing about uh, Ben Affleck, what I thought of was the fact that so many Americans, particularly anybody who has ancestry going back to the 18th century, so many white Americans had slaves. It was common in Connecticut, it was common in the uh, all, all to the north and the south, even small farmers kept slaves. And many of us, including me, have slave owners in our past. And or something like that, that, it's just not him, but he's, thank goodness, he came forward to uh, teach us a lesson. Yes. If people <clears throat> want to get past the race problems in this country, you got to get past your individual racism, but you've also got to come to grips with the fact that the race situation we have in this country is the responsibility of a lot of our ancestors.
2: Yeah, hence, hence Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, piece from last year that was uh, so fabulous. All right. Well, we're yeah, going to make a – yeah, go ahead. Sorry. There was one other thing about that that, that, that that related
5: to what the caller said. Mm. It's not just the ancestors of the past. It's where all our money comes from. Right. It's the reason why the <laughs> United States is the economic power that it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean
4: I just one very quick thing is that from the Latin American perspective, there's a wrinkle that a lot of Americans don't consider is that in Latin America, there were a lot of people who were of African descent of various proportions of African descent who were slave owners uh, and including there were Africans who after they freed themselves from slavery, they became involved in slavery as slave owners or even involved in the slave trade. So when you you're exploring roots in the context of a place like Brazil, for example, or Cuba or other places, it's more complicated than simply you know, the people who need to hide something are only people who are of direct, exclusive European descent, that's not the case. There, I, I could go on to give you examples of people who were slave owners who were actually uh, at least racially mixed uh, with some partial heritage of being African.
2: Shame is such an interesting thing, anyway. You know, I mean, and when I was working on the book about my father, which sort of really did a little bit about, about about my family, I was in Ireland, uh, and I discovered there's this horrible thing um, from the famine, and it's called taking soup. And what it means is that the Catholics in Ireland who were starving, uh, but there was a thing that you could do if you would effectively be a Protestant for a while or attend, uh, you know, Church of England services or something like that, that, you would get, you could get soup. They'd feed you if you'd essentially, essentially renounce, at least temporarily, your Catholicism. And it was considered a mark of great shame to have done this. And about two days into my research in Ireland, this priest was go, going over stuff with me and he said, it looks like you took soup. <laughs> I thought, oh, oh, well, well, you know, we're all human. Um, all right. So we're going to do a little transition from there to Sally Mann. Sally Mann is a really famous photographer. I don't know too much about photography. But if you go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, if you go to the Whitney, if you go to SF MoMA, go to uh, uh, many of the, the museums that exhibit photography in this country, you're going to see her work. But she became especially famous in the early 1990s for work that involved her children. They were living in this very remote farm, uh, nobody else for miles around, and a lot not have a lot of things like electricity coming in. Uh, and uh, she took photographs of her children. They were often nude. There was a, a, sometimes a sensuality about them. And uh, when they were pub- Some of them were published uh, in Book Forum and a few of them were published in the New York Times in the early 1990s. And there was sort of a hue and cry about them. And I'm not even exactly – quite sure why. But for some reason or other, last weekend the New York Times Sunday magazine revisited this with a lengthy essay by Sally Mann about everything that happened afterwards and the, the, the way that she felt attacked, uh, the way that she was attacked in publications like the Wall Street Journal, the fact that she even visited an FBI profiler at one point to see whether or not uh, she was in fact producing material about her own children that would be bait for pedophilia, to figure out what her – culpability and, I guess, uh, to go back to Ben Affleck, complicity uh, might be in, in anything horrible. So, and, and I think it's an essay that you can have multiple responses to, too. So, Carolyn, I'm going to start out with you because you made the mistake of telling me you at least that you found the essay interesting. What did you find interesting about it?
3: Just how somebody who creates art has such a different perception of, of what they're putting out there and, and just how art is perceived in general, uh, that... You know, what I'm seeing in something is just it's a totally different experience than the person you're standing next to, even though you're experiencing it at that exact same moment. So I just found it fascinating that this woman, uh, in, in looking through the pictures, uh, I can understand uh, in some ways where where some of the controversy would have come from and. I, I was kind of more shocked that she sort of seemed to have be so clueless about it in some ways that she was like, I, I just didn't think that that could happen. Um, but at the same time, I love that there was she her art was just driven by this this innocence. And this is how she saw the world and how she wanted to portray how she was depicting her kids. But I really I, I was just fascinated from, um, you know, the the art perspective of how art can be seen so differently and so drastically differently.
2: So, yeah, one of the tensions in the essay, obviously, is she's a mother uh, of these kids. She's a photographer of these kids. And she splits those two roles up in the essay. She says, really, when I'm doing one, I'm not so much the other. And then she asks, but am I responsible for the way in which my art is perceived, too? I know what my intentions are in art. Am I, do I bear a responsibility for perceptions that were never placed there in the first place? I don't know. James, did you find anything interesting about her argument? Yes, I, I mean I do. I I sort of sympathize about
5: it, but I agree with Carolyn that it, that it's like it, it, you've really got to have an awareness that especially now, she's writing now, to have an understanding of exactly what was going on with pictures that certainly to some people would be provocative. And I think that one thing you have to recognize as an artist of any kind is that you have to be ready to deal with the consequences of provocation because that's what makes you an artist in a way, that you're taking a chance with something that you believe in. And she makes a very good argument uh, for her art, but I think there's a certain naivete and almost sort of wounded sort of sense of being misunderstood that that this could come out in a different way and that she could be victimized by you know crazy people online and pedophiles and people who would see it as an exploitation of her children and so on. I think that um, there is an innocence to it and they're very beautiful pictures, but I think that you have to see that you're going to have to fight for this and I. I I'm a little disturbed that she sees it as a sort of, you know, surprise like this.
4: Wait a minute. Um, hmm. Maybe I I, I did not read the article correctly but um, uh, was her intention to provoke – I mean let's say unlike Mapplethorpe uh, with the crucifix in a liquid that shouldn't be put in uh, where he – clearly he was intending to provoke. Uh, Was her intention, I I don't think it was to provoke. Well, the
5: interesting (laughs) thing about Maplethorpe is that the Maplethorpe some of the provocative exhibits of Maplethorpe came out at around the same time that these pictures came out. And so there's also the fact that you've got this new presence, which is the availability of image everywhere all the time. And so everybody can see it. And, uh, you know, it's one thing that if you're a photographer who's taken this, this series of pictures that you put in a book and it goes into a book that's selling for $100 and hardly anybody actually sees it and it perhaps causes some kind of a stir but these pictures became very different They because of the internet. It,
2: it, it's something entirely different. But so, I, I think he's right to bring up Maplethorpe too, I, I, just because she feels very lumped in. Let me just quickly say, uh, if you read this essay, if you have thoughts about it, our number, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Uh, but do so quickly because we won't be able to stay with this for too long. But, you know, I think part of Sally Mann's argument is I got lumped in that this was sort of, Maplethorpe was hot but also Andres Serrano is the was the artist who put the crucifix oh, in the in okay, the urine. So sure, sure, I got it wrong. Uh, and, but that was also right around that time. Uh, Karen Finley was the so-called chocolate smeared woman. I didn't mean to but, look but at you when I said chocolate smeared that, woman. Um, <laughs> that's and, the
5: result of the leveling effect of the internet, though. That's yeah, bound yeah. to happen because but, but, there isn't actually that. The, there's a vast number of people who are looking at these images who are not making any distinction between different artists. Well, and these, even
3: these pictures were pre. Internet exactly. time. That was
5: mm-hmm. Yes,
0: that.
3: exactly. So, and my one of the other things that I was fascinated with in the article was where she talks about her children, who are the subjects, and she calls them actors. She says that when yeah. they, yeah. I thought that was really interesting that she would imply that they are creating these characters for her. Um, you know, I, I did wonder why her children were always running around without clothes on, but they live in the woods, and it just it seemed. But it wasn't. But that's the point. Even though these photos do. You know, I I get where this can pull that like Law and Order SVU sort of vibe, mm-hmm. but it doesn't because they really they they really are just so such beautiful quiet captures. But the children's reaction to them and how they see themselves in their bodies, like her daughter who didn't want to wear a dress that you, when it when she moved her arms it like showed part of her chest, and right. she was like a young kid. And the, the the artist, her her mother, was kind of shocked that she would feel such you know. <laughs> so well, ashamed. Well, the, so. The, the,
2: that incident it comes up because they're about to go to an exhibit of these photographs, right? And it turns out that Jesse doesn't want to wear a, um, a dress where her chest is a little bit visible through the oversized armholes. And one of her friends says, "Jesse, I don't get it. Why on earth would you care if someone can see your chest through the armholes when you're going to be in a room with a bunch of pictures that show the same completely bare chest?" And she says, "Well, that's not my chest. Those are photographs." So she's making the distinction that her mother wants yes. her to mm-hmm. make. Yes, yes. Well, yes, exactly. That that that's a very crucial thing that I. Mean, I mean especially
5: if these kids are growing up I mean I don't know if they were homeschooled or whether how much contact they had at the time with other kids but I mean it, this this is sort of like a the 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 raising of the kids in that environment and the taking the pictures is almost like an art exhibit in itself I mean it's a it's a it's an expression of art and everybody's a part of it and and there were curious little details like when the Wall Street Journal ran that article with a with a Picture of the naked child with black bands on the on parts of the body that uh, she wrote the the child wrote a letter complaining to the Wall Street Journal and it, it, there's a sort of you know like <laughs> well, it,
4: but,
2: but, intrigue upon intrigue yeah, well, no, I mean, this would have been I, an I interesting think, house to no, grow up you're in. you're not getting yes, any deserted until so you write a letter to the Wall Street <laughs> Journal <laughs>
4: no, no, but I, but I, I think I, see I, I think that uh, what happened with that picture that was the article was a very 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 uh, devastating criti- uh, critical article against the pictures. Um, and they published this picture of her daughter, one of her daughters, uh, without her permission to first. And second, they, uh, from an the artistic perspective, they mutilated right. a work of art exactly. in order to include it in an article in a way that was very salacious. Yeah. That is not the way the pictures were taken, nor exhibited, right. nor published. I mean, the exhibit—the first exhibition was in 1990. The book was published in 1992. We have to uh, just clarify that for the audience because this is pre-internet days, as 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 Carolyn was saying. But the, what what happens is that the way they circulated by others as part of their critique, and and in that sense, I mean, one of the the, the quote that I wrote from the article that I thought was very useful for any conversation about this is, uh, quote, uh, it is her response in this essay in the New York Times, it is a banal point that no artist can predict how each image will be received by each viewer and that what is devoid of erotic meaning to one person is the stuff of another person's wildest Fantasies. So to me, really, a lot of the critique of the pictures speaks more about the mindset of the people who wrote the critiques, of how they saw the pictures, what they put into them uh, from their own psychological perspectives, whatever their erotic fantasies might be, right, than we, what they were.
2: We're going to grab a quick break here. We have some calls. I, I want to grab a few calls on the other side. We got to leave time for uh, reboots and, of course, the adult exploration of the Muppets which were I don't know how that fits into the conversation we're having right now but I'm alarmed that it might
5: in the big picture
2: All right, let me uh, grab a few phone calls here with us. Uh, by the way, Carolyn Payne, Luis Figueroa, James Hanley. This is the Nose. We're talking about Sally Mann's essay. Sally, I think it's called Sally Mann Exposed, Sally Mann's Exposure, something like that, uh, that ran in the New York Times last Sunday. Here's Peter in. Oops, I didn't do it. Uh, here's Peter in Harwinton. Hi, you're on the air. Uh, but you're not on the air, Peter. Are you there? No, he might have given up. All right. Fortunately, we have. I hope Dan in stores. Hi, Dan. You're on the air.
1: Hi. uh, The panel was discussing the artist's surprise over the controversy, and I just wanted to say that I'm not sure you can always take an artist's word for whether they're surprised. I think artists, when they can't gain attention for their work just on their merits, or they can't rise above their colleagues, they do something controversial. And and, and when they say they didn't intend for it to be controversial, I, I think that's a little bit of a defense. You know, they want to believe as artists that they were recognized for their art, and if they just say, well, I was a carnival barker and I did something to to infuriate people so that it would get people looking at my work, I mean, that that demeans their art, so as human beings, you tend not to say that, but I think that's always in there or often in there somewhere. I, I don't think it's an accident when people make a Virgin Mary out of poo and they just say... That was just what I had at or That was the best thing to express my art.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was I, elephant I, poo. So they probably didn't have it just sitting around anyway. And and I think well, your your point is right that this you know there there are her one of her arguments is I'm just capturing my children doing things that they do. On the other hand, I mean we were treated to the picture of her her new daughter in her white roller skates, and I just don't. I think children do just naturally decide they're going to roller skate nude as somebody one of the commenters by the way read the comments to this article cuz it's first of all you just want to be the I, I would just love to be the new york times and get comments like this you know i work with the current where most of the commenters are animals you know these comments are really interesting and they really get you thinking about different things but one person said you know any kid who'd ever had a splinter would never be roller skating nude on a deck you know that just <laughs> just doesn't really happen and i do feel like the essay ends on a somewhat disingenuous note she talks about how protected they felt down by the river in Lexington, Virginia, surrounded by cliffs and water and stuff like that. Well, you were protected until you started hanging it up in museums and putting it in magazines. I mean that's the issue here. Um, well, listen, we, have, we want to do a quick uh, switch over to uh, reboots. Uh, And Reboots go on all the time. Reboots, remakes, uh, however you want to call them. Uh, James, as uh, someone who runs a movie theater, has to think all the time about how much he wants to put up with all this. Uh, Tucker Ives wrote, uh, I know there's always a lot of discussion about lack of creativity, but there's more of an obsession with reunions and not just one-off primetime TV specials. This week we have Full House, but we've also seen it with Arrested Development and Community in a Weird Way, Boy Meets World. These are all TV shows that are are being rebooted. Movies are rebooted all the time as well and then we've been informed that the Muppets uh, are coming back but the, this time the Muppets will be – well, the Muppets never went away. They don't have to come back. But this new Muppet thing is apparently going to explore you know, from a mockumentary point of view some of the more adult issues of the Muppets. Uh, I'm looking around for the this. I can't find anything. But anyway, um, and that's sort of what we know about this. but. Uh, Carolyn, do we want, first of all, do we want to know about the adult issues of the Muppets? I feel like we already know about the adult issues of the Muppets. I feel the Muppets are
3: adults. They are, but I just don't understand what they are going to be exposing us to with these uh, adult issues. And they said that we're going to explore their personal lives. I don't, I I feel like we already know enough about Kermie and Piggy's (laughs) personal life. I don't really need an inside look into that, nor do I want it to get into that realm of. Uh, you know, the, that adult sitcom where, you know, like... So I'm just picturing, like, Kermit getting feelings for another Muppet and trying to deal with this. And I, I just feel like it's not going to be a good thing for us. Although I am excited to see the Muppets come back on TV, and I think that there's potential for it to be great, but making I, it more adult, yeah. Yes. I think
5: it's great to have the Muppets back, but I have to say that what's really going on here is... Um, uh, and and it's, it's an attempt to expand the franchise. One of the problems that the Muppets have had in the film versions, especially, has been convincing adults that they should come not just because they're bringing their kids, but because it has an adult sort of content and that therefore that it should be amusing it should have another layer they're frantically trying to find that i think and so it's driven by is, uh, something entirely different
3: but i think the skill with the muppets was always that it was really for adults
5: but it doesn't but, but, but they haven't really continued well. that in the way that they that did i agree at the beginning it did have that But it has a kind of – to me, a kind of arch, contrived quality now to it that doesn't have quite the –
3: That's the problem with all of these reboots and reunions. They're all contrived and unnecessary for the most part.
4: Luis, did you have a take on all this? Uh, Well, yeah. I mean – I don't know why maybe I walk out on the wrong side of the bed today to be contrarian but I wouldn't I wouldn't Good. mind I wouldn't mind that. watching I wouldn't mind watching the uh, uh, remake of the of, of the Muppets where they are adults in part because I have very little relationship with them um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know them very well I, I, I mean I was I was Is there a uh, Puerto Rican ma- version of the Muppets? No, I mean, the, what was there's, the a, there's a Puerto Rican Muppet were, right? No I mean they were they were <laughs> they were not in my radar screen when I was was growing up, and my radar screen was the Flintstones. Uh, ah. So that's so, because I'm older. And then when, well, would you want when to see Fred Flintstone yeah, get his prostate yes, checked oh, I mean, that's well, a, that's a different one. But okay. then, but then, for when my I was raising my daughter early on, it was Barney. That was the thing. Well, she was not really into the Muppet so I don't even remember the name of the Muppet that is living inside a trash can. What was it, this guy? Well, that's book? Oscar, so that's and Oscar. He, yeah, he's, yeah, so, he's so, not. So he's so a separate that's, Muppet. That's, yeah, but that's 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 the <laughs> kind of that's the kind of story that I would <laughs> like someone adult person Person to play and get into the bio of how you ended up living there. Is that, that's the one character that I identify so with.
3: You, you want like, a, uh, like an inside the actor studio about Oscar the Grouch? <laughs> no, I'd watch that. I
2: would watch I, would, I, bet you, I bet you James Lipton's already done that, though. I feel like that's already happened where he's,
4: you know. You, you, know, you remember that show with Gabriel Byrne uh, uh, where he was a psychiatrist? Uh, the Sessions, what was the name of that show? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, in, in Therapy. In, in, therapy? therapy, in, in, therapy. in Therapy. In Treatment. In Treatment. That was the, that's a great show for anyone here. Actually, just an early endorsement. Anyone here has not seen In Treatment with Gabriel Byrne, I really re- strongly recommend it. So I would like to see something like In Treatment mixed with The Muppets. This where, is that, that where, 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 yeah, where, where you've got a pitch. Where the Muppets go to uh, a psychiatrist <laughs> to, to discuss their background, their experiences You know, before the show, during the show, having to deal with Big birds, eagle. And, and things I mean I, that would make it for me a funny show to begin with I yeah. think
5: somebody's busy working on this right now
4: yeah, I mean. yeah, you
2: probably shouldn't you get that copyright you just, you you trade, copyright. Yeah, you you just pro- gave away an intellectual property, property. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's well I there are some other things that are going on here too and one of them is I don't know how many of you uh, watched it Betsy Kaplan sent around some Amy Schumer clips and she sent around yeah, this tremendous right. Amy Schumer clip in which Amy yes. stumbles upon this picnic yes. uh, and it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Patricia Arquette and uh, Tina Fey and they're talking about we can't use the word but they're talking about sort of a way, a moment at which an actress becomes less marketable. Market happens not to be the word that they use and with the suffix-able. Uh, but less marketable and less sexually marketable. And they're celebrating, they're having a party to celebrate the fact that Julia Louis-Dreyfus has crossed this Rubicon. Uh, and, and it's very funny and there's a million interesting things about it. And Amy Schumer plays this innocent who just kind of doesn't understand what's being talked about and has all kinds of questions. Um, but uh, so they give examples of how you know this is happening to you? And Patricia Arquez says, "You know it when they start remaking your movies with younger, more blanketable <laughs> uh, um, actresses." And she said they're already doing uh, Boyhood with Selena Gomez in my role, <laughs> and then all the actresses. Tina Fey is you know, like, "That's going to make they, money. They, it's going to make a lot of money." Yeah. Um, and and I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but there's this kind of idea that I mean, I think one of the things that one of the adjustments that 's represented by that, that does really happen too, of course, right, yeah, it happens all the time. I mean this is one of the bedrock principles of hollywood
5: agents that Hollywood agents who drive this whole thing are really, first of all, you know, they're scanning constantly to see what the next possibility is to redo something, to redo a franchise. And it's cheaper to redo a franchise for lots of reasons. And one of the things is it's also recognizable out in the market. So if you can pull it off, you can do something that needs much less publicity than would otherwise be the case. It's part of the very nature of popular entertainment that you do that.
3: And it taps into the nostalgia factor.
5: Absolutely. And people, yes, the nostalgia factor, people look fondly back on the past and so and then there's a new generation of people who may discover it. And this is something that we go through in more intense cycles periodically in the film industry. It's like sequels, for instance. You know, that you'll have the the endless sequels that are expected to perform in the marketplace. Then they begin to falter, and then you begin to start seeing some new material.
3: Well I feel like it's my age group specifically that is seeking and 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 kind of really Pulling in these uh, these like reboot reunion things because all those shows like Full House, Boy Meets World, you know even the Muppet Show these were things that I watched and now it, you know it's it's like my age group is that that internet the millennial and we're just kind of seeking sort of this return well, to and,
5: and there's a there's a reassurance in that too there's a kind of reassurance I that, you-
3: that Boy Meets World reboot that they did and where now like he has a kid is terrifying to me because i'm the same age as that like i grew up with right, those people right. like we were in junior high age group together See,
2: now we are all Luis figueroa none of us have any idea what boy someone meets out, World out there is, is with me full house. <laughs> I, I have i am as estranged from full house as Luis is from the muppets they just weren't sort of part uh, i mean i had to write a joke about full house earlier this week i had to look up some names of characters i had no idea really like, i just don't know anything about you that you said full house something in poker well, there's the, the, <laughs> that's the only full house that I know. It's not about poker, however. Yeah. But I do think – I mean one of the things we know is that it's not a completely depraved activity. There are good reboots. There are good remakes. I mean the one that I always come back to is the Heaven Can Wait is – you know, I think every bit is good. If not better, then here comes Mr. Jordan. Uh, I mean it's just absolutely brilliant and the fact that it's based on old material – uh, you know, I mean, doesn't completely damn it. I mean, you could probably come up with your own examples. Yeah, I think
5: there are a lot of examples where it does succeed. I agree. I mean, I, 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 think that it's always going to happen, and you have to be discriminating about what you, what, what is interesting that isn't just a rehash that it actually takes it somewhere new um i mean uh, one of the examples on tv with uh, sort of personalities driving it would be star trek i mean star trek which transformed itself and actually morphed in different ways and brought in different characters and different shows and um managed to actually expand its franchise in, you know, enormously over the years because it was really interesting it was well written for a period And the characters were very identifiable and that had a connection back to a previous generation of viewers and new people were coming on. It's that kind of thing that if you think about the original producers who wanted to pull their money out of Star Trek and then the great gold mine it turned out to be for Paramount later on, I mean that's a lesson the industry
4: is constantly aware of. Yeah, there's another angle about reboots that I was thinking about um, last night and this morning. And that is not in terms of media production of film or television shows but in terms of actually the people's, people's lives, uh, how people try to reinvent themselves um, in, in particular kind of situations. Um, I mean I could talk about music because that's something I, I, I do. I have in fact remixes of, of, or covers of songs that actually work better. If, than if you play the original one, I mm-hmm. uh, have you know, respect with Aretha Franklin. It works better the version that I play for people, um, far better than the original one. So
2: you're, so, you're upsetting some purists
4: out there. Yes, <laughs> I know. But I mean, uh, one day maybe I'll show them. But but uh, but I was also thinking about uh, people in their own lives, how they try to reboot, um, and 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 so I wonder if uh, examples that you might have about this. Maybe ourselves we have done this. I, I guess you. Oh might yeah, be.
2: people do it all the time. And if Fitzgerald famously said there were no second acts in American life, it's so obviously uh, a wrong statement. There are second, third, en- endless numbers of acts. But I do feel as though you know we have a love. First of all, I just want to say, Carolyn. Rather than damning your own generation, let's admit that it, we're all pretty bad this way. That you know, one of the things, one of the sort of uh, goodies that was offered up to us in the in the Star Wars uh, trailer that leaked last weekend or came out last weekend is. You you know, you're going to get Han Solo and Chewbacca and and and, and prin- Princess Leia. They're all coming back because you can't be happy no matter how old and ragged they look. Yeah, you I- know, you have to have them back, and so that's it, that's not a failure of imagination or spirit that's confined to your generation.
3: It's true, and and yes, the Star Wars franchise is an example that I I, I was pretty done with Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I was done after you know, the, the three prequels. But when I found out that they were in- incorporating the original actors, it made me excited about this because it is, it's that reunion sense. And, you know, I, I guess, they, you know, they always say, like, the older you get, the more you want and to be around and to know, like, the people you knew when you were young. Mm. I think it's that kind, of, that kind of sense.
4: You know, two shows that I definitely would like to see reboot. Mm. One is Twilight Zone. And the other one is Twin Peaks. Well, Twilight Twin there,
3: Peaks, is, they tried to. Yeah, I
4: think they've tried. In the fact, did the I, actually, I they, they are going to do it right now? Well, I, should, I think they should hire a large frontier. To do Twin Peaks, a new version of Twin Peaks. At least you are
2: <laughs> brimming with really good
4: show business content. Right? <laughs> really, you should just get on a plane to the coast yeah, and just
2: right take now. meetings. Yeah, just stop, in, talking just stop talking to us. Stop talking to us. Start taking I, I gonna, meetings. I'm
4: going to take your advice. As soon as it, I turn in grace in May, I'm moving to LA. You I absolutely got to do that. I all think right.
5: It wasn't it David, David Lynch pulled out of that
2: project? He I did. think yeah, did. I think he did, yeah. He did. Uh,
4: all right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with endorsements
2: after this.
0: I'm not sure I'm ready to live through all of Fozzie Bear's urology visits. Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe and me, Kion Wolf. Our intern is Kelsey Bissell. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin, and the part of Bill Curry was played by the Swedish chef. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton show staff and the live-action reboot of Clutch and Cargo, visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday's show, the scramble catches up with the weekend. And now... Back to the nose.
2: All right. It's time for the part of the nose. Uh, Every once in a while, just for copyright purposes, I have to say I stole this idea from our friends at the Slate Culture Gab Fest. So, this is an idea stolen from the Slate Culture Gab uh, Fest called Endorsement. So, James, what have you got? What would you like to endorse?
5: Well, at Cine Studio, we have a couple of uh, festivals coming up. A really interesting one on sa- this coming Saturday at 5 o'clock the Real Youth Hartford Film Festival, which is uh, films made by uh, the Hartford school students and they enter them in the festival and they have a competition that night and uh, it's really a fun experience to come to that and it's free admission starting at five o'clock on Saturday then the following week we have a another festival, a Trinity Film Festival which is filmmakers college filmmakers from all over the country who enter uh, their, uh, their 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 films and that uh, the festivities begin at four o'clock uh, on May 2nd on Saturday May 2nd.
4: All right. Uh, Luis, what have you got for us? Uh, well, I finally uh, was able to finish uh, this seasons of uh, House of Cards. Um, and I must say that uh, it was impressive uh, in the storytelling, especially the last uh, four or five episodes of this season from episode like 35 uh, uh, to 39. Uh, and, and I want to endorse it because it, the cinematography, the editing, the the, the acting and and Two of these episodes were directed by Robin Wright uh, herself, and she did a masterful uh, job. And the other one, the, two of them were also directed by Agnieszka Holland, who's a Polish director, veteran Polish director. And, and so if you have never uh, gotten into House of Cards and so on, well, maybe this is a way for me to try to stimulate you to doing. if you haven't caught up with season three of this year's season. I strongly recommend it. It's, it's beautiful. It's almost like a film. It's not just simply television. All right. Carolyn Payne.
3: Uh, well, it's kind of a offshoot, a little bit of what Louise said, with Robin Wright Penn directing, um, or Robin Wright, I guess she goes by now. I am involved with the uh, Women Only Film Project, and it is uh, based here in Connecticut, but has uh, films written by women, and it's all written by women, directed by women, uh, female crews. So it's a really cool thing to be part of, and I'm really excited to be part of that, so keep an eye out for um, – they're going to be doing a festival connected with that and um, and – All sorts of great women in the business empowerment. Um, Also, uh, really quickly, the Trash and Fashion Soiree uh, by my friend Amy Murley. It's the fifth year. Uh, That is tomorrow night, Saturday night. They have um, a Trash and Fashion show, and it all is about educating about sustainability and is really a fun event.
2: All right, and that is where
3: uh, and is at City Hall tomorrow night. City Hall
2: tomorrow night. All right, mm-hmm. so uh, I've got a few things here. Um, first of all, um, there's a musician who's worked in Connecticut for a really long time. Who his name is Don Donsonetti, Don and he, Don Donsonetti is. He isn't just a guy who sings sea C- shanties. C- he like is a sea C- shanty. I mean he is – he kind of is that and apparently he's had some terrible health problems over the winter uh, and like a lot of musicians, he probably doesn't have very good health insurance. Hence, a lot of other musicians are trying to raise some money for him. Uh, so there's actually a thing called uh, uCaring.com and there's a medical fundraiser kind of on that site uh, for Don Cinetti. and I know that there have been some concerts and will be some concerts. Uh, Don Cinetti was a founder of among other things, the Morgans, which was sort of this really classic C- Going uh, singing group for a long time. So um, coming up at the Sounding Board, I believe it's. I'm looking at my thing here. I believe it's May yeah, May 16th. Something called the Portable Folk Festival, and an act uh, is going to uh, do uh, a benefit for Don. So uh, contact the Sounding Board. That's in West Hartford, I believe, and uh, and and do something for Don Sonetti. Also, I'm going to endure something I've never been to, but I like every year. I mean to go to it, and because it always looks so great. Uh, it's called the Daffodil Fest in Maryland in Mar- Maryland, in Meriden, and, and the people who put it together. I mean, I know they put a lot of work into it and they have fireworks and they really pick out the music groups like some of the really best local music groups are there. So uh, I'm swearing this year – well, I better not. But I think I'm going to get to the Daffodil Fest. And then – so yeah, I've got time for a couple of other things. Just to piggyback on Luis, uh, um, if you finished House of Cards and you crave something kind of like that, then you have to kind of know somebody. But there's this Danish series called Borgen, which is I think – Actually, better than House of Cards, but anyway, it, it's it's fabulously acted. The thing is, I don't think you can stream it on Netflix. You might you can only maybe only get the discs that way, or know somebody who's got the box set or something. I mean, you sort of almost have to know somebody uh, to get Borgen. Uh, but it it really is good, and it really is worth it. And you learn a lot also about things like uh, Denmark's rather strained relationship with Greenland, which I didn't <laughs> know anything about. And then, lastly, I never do this, uh, but I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to promote one of our own shows, which is the—and I could promote it because we've already recorded it. It's going to be on on Tuesday. Um, I've kind of gotten to know this really remarkable woman. Her name is Nancy Butler. Uh, she's somebody who had an MBA, had a very lucrative job in the defense industry down in the Beltway, and suddenly realized, what am I doing with my life? Went back to seminary, became a minister, founded her own church here in Hartford. It is, it's an evangelical church that's very, very inclusive. It's very gay-inclusive and welcoming of all lifestyles and all orientations. I mean, you just—you can't get turned away from this place, even though they are evangelicals. Just, she's a remarkable woman, and then she just got the worst, worst possible news. She has a very, very horrible disease. She has a ALS. Uh, we had a one-hour conversation about this. It's going to be our Tuesday show. It's something I'm—I I'm, love all my shows, all the shows we do, and I'm—but I'm especially invested in this. And I think you're going to meet a really remarkable person if you tune in on Tuesday. So, so don't miss that one. It's Tuesday. It's Nancy Butler. And thanks to James, and thanks to Luis, and thanks to Carolyn. We'll be back on Monday with a scramble. The the radio,
0: be talking, laughing, uh-huh. I the ben Affleck and his slave owning ancestor have at least one thing in common. Neither of them should be cast as Batman. Boom. Both of them hate the Yankees. Boom. Both of them deny having a relationship with Matt Damon. Boom. Actually, it says here that a slave owning ancestor did have relations with Jebediah Damon...